tonight, we're going to start a new study called The World's Greatest Story. And it's basically going to be a summary of the Bible. You know, when it comes to studying and understanding the Bible, many of us feel like probably our efforts are futile. We want to understand the Bible. We want to understand the big story of the Bible. And we know parts of it, right? Especially if you've grown up in Sunday school and BSF, you know parts of the story. If you've been coming to church, you know parts of the story. You hear parts of it preached, and, and, and you've, you remember some of the good parables that were meaningful to you. There's certain verses that are encouraging and comforting. We know some of the main characters in the story, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. Some of them we know better than others, but we recognize the names, and we know something about them. We know something about their story, and we know that in the end, God wins, right? So we know the story kind of from beginning We know where it starts, creation. We know where it ends, revelation. And so we know parts of the story. But the thought of mastering the Bible can be overwhelming. But what if, what if you could learn key elements, some key elements that could help you understand really the flow of the Bible? See, what I'm really hoping to do in the next few weeks is this. I'm hoping to help you understand the Old Testament and then understand the New Testament to prepare you to help you understand the book of Revelation. So that's where we're going with all of this, all right? That's the master plan, if you will. And I hope it's the master plan. And that's where we're heading with all of this. Tonight, I want to show you how the books of the Bible, or books of the Old Testament, uh, you can really divide the books of the Old Testament into segments. This is going to be a lot of interaction tonight. It's not just going to be me talking. You're going to need to do some talking as well, okay? But what I want to do, and if you don't have an outline, I hope that you'll jump up and get one from someone. But I want to divide the story of the Old Testament into certain segments. And, and then we're going to work our way through those segments, okay? So let's start with, you got your, your outline there. Anybody else need an outline? Anybody else? All right, let's start with the books of the Old Testament. The the Old Testament is primarily the story. Put this on your notes. The Old Testament is primarily the story of God's dealing with humanity through the nation of Israel. That's really the thrust of the Old Testament. God's dealing with humanity, humanity through the nation of Israel. Now, what I want you to do is take your Bible and open it to the table of contents. The table of contents. Do we have any more outlines? Okay, anybody else need an outline? Okay, I thought I saw some people trying to get one. All right. Open your Bibles to the table of contents where you see the books of the Old Testament listed. Now, some of this is going to be elementary for some of you. I recognize that. Some of this is going to be brand new, though, for some of you, too. And it's just, I hope that you'll just stay with it because if you'll stay with us through the whole time tonight, uh, I think some of it will be helpful regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey or your knowledge of the Bible. So I want to start out with the most basic things of all. I want to talk about the books of the Old Testament, and I want you to look at the table of contents. In your Bibles, in the Old Testament, they're just listed, but they really can be broken up into different divisions, and that's what you see there on your note sheet, a place for you to fill in the blanks. The first division of the Old Testament is the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, P-E-N-T-A-T-E. U-C-H. Let me write that up on the board for you. P-E-N. I'll have to make sure I'm spelling it right. T-A. 
Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books of the Old Testament. First five books of the Bible, really. Uh, First five books of the Bible. Let's say them together. What are the first five books of the Bible? Genesis. Who wrote the first five books? Moses, absolutely. Moses wrote those first five books. The Pentateuch is also known as books of the law. Although that is somewhat misleading because it's not just law. It's also books of instruction. In fact, in some ways you could say it's primarily books of instruction. But there is much of the Old Testament law is recorded there. And so these are the, this is the first division of the Old Testament. The first five books, the books of law, the books of instruction written by Moses. And there are how many books? Five. I'm going to ask you questions to make sure you're with me. All right? Now, the second division is the historical books. Historical books cover the books of Joshua through Esther. Now, there are 12 of those books. Again, you've got your table of contents, so let's read the 12 books of history, the historical books, beginning with Joshua. Say it with me. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Those books make up the historical books. What are they telling the history of? Israel, exactly. They're telling the history of Israel, how Israel was formed as a nation, how Israel followed God or sometimes did not follow God. And they're telling the story, the history of Israel. And then we come to the next section, five more books. Oh, by the way, in the historical books, I think I told you there's 12. And then the third section are books of poetry and wisdom. Poetry and wisdom books. These are five books in total. They are the books of Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, or it may be Song of Solomon in your translation. So those are the five books of poetry and wisdom. Then we come to the next section, which is known as the major prophets. There are five major prophets in the Old Testament. The five major prophets are these, beginning with Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are five books that are known as the five major prophets. And then, finally, we have what's called the minor prophets. And those are 12 books, beginning with Hosea and going through Malachi. Okay? We're not going to read all of those, but you can see if you're looking at the table of contents. Well, I'll go ahead and read them. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi. Those 12 books make up the minor prophets. Now, sometimes the question is, why are these books major prophets and these other books minor prophets? It is not because some books are more important than others. It's not because their message is more important than others. Some of these books, or the first five books there, called major prophets, are called major prophets because of the size of the book. They are minor prophets because of the size of the book. So the major prophets, they wrote a lot. The Minor Prophets wrote a smaller book. So that's the only significance of those titles, Major and Minor Prophets. It it talks about the size of the book they wrote. All right, any questions so far? I'm just trying to do some foundational stuff before we get into the the meat of what I want to share with you. All right, the first, this, this is interesting. I want you to count the first 17 books. Just table of contents. What, what would be the first 17 books? Starting with, of course, Genesis, going to what? 
To what? All right. Here's an interesting point. The first 17 books tell the basic story of God's interaction with people of Israel and the building of the nation. If you could master the first 17 books of the Old Testament, you can understand the rest of the Old Testament. The first 17 books, let me say it again, tell the basic story of God's interaction with people of Israel and the building of a nation. The rest of the books were all written basically during the time period of those first 17 books. Let me try to diagram that if I can. So you've got 17 books that's telling the history and the story of the nation of, of, of Israel. 17, there's how many books in the Old Testament? 39. So that leaves t- the other 22 books were all written during this time frame. These other 22 books were all written during the time frame of these 17 books of history. Okay? All right. Um, And with that kind of as foundational, let me talk to you about the major eras of Old Testament history. This is the meat of what I want to share with you tonight. And I want you to take some good notes. Some of this you're going to know. Some of it might be new material. Uh, But I've tried to just give you some spaces or some space there to write in what's meaningful to you. The entire story of the Old Testament can be broken down into nine major time periods. The first one is called creation era. This is Genesis 1 through 11, creation era. As you might imagine, this is the story of how everything began. This era is sometimes also called primeval history. Let me put this on here. Can you read that from where you are? Not really? P-R-I-M-E-V-A-L. Sometimes called primeval history. Primeval, the word primeval simply means the earliest stages of history. So Genesis 1 through 11 talks about the earliest stages of history. Tell you what, let me... Let me do it this way. So we have the creation era. And it's Genesis 1 through 11. And in Genesis 1 through 11, this is the beginning of everything. This is the beginning of the world. This is the beginning of mankind. This is the beginning of God's relationship with mankind. This this is the beginning of creation. Everything is created in these first 11 chapters. Uh, Of course, God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in a perfect garden called uh, Eden. It's a perfect paradise. They have perfect fellowship. But for reasons unknown to us, for reasons that we can't fully explain sin entered the world and, and because sin entered the world the result was what we call the fall sin began to, to not only be in Adam and Eve but in their offspring Adam and Eve multiplied but so did their, as their, multipli- as their offspring multiplied so did sin in fact sin so multiplied that it, it spread throughout the world Humanity became so sinful that God decided to destroy the world. Of course, you know that story, and God used one man to save the world, and who was that one man? Through Noah, God wanted to repopulate the earth with a righteous family. So God instructed Noah and his family to spread out and and inhabit the earth. 
That's all the creation era. I'll come back to that in just a moment. The second era that you need to know about is called the patriarch era. Patriarch era. Now, the word patriarch means father. I'm talking about uh, the great fathers of the faith, and this deals with Genesis chapters 12 through 50. Genesis chapters 12 through 50. There are four men that are listed in this division of Scripture. Four men that are prominent, I should say, in Genesis 12 through 50. Write these down. Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, and Jacob's son Joseph. Those four men are prominent in this era. It's interesting that Genesis 1 through 11... This first era, creation era, deals with four great events. Creation, the fall, the flood, and Tower of Babel. And in the patriarch era, there's not four great events, but there's four great people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So here's what happened during this patriarch era. God decided that he would bless the world through one nation. That he was going to create a nation. Actually, let me back up. God decided to bless an individual. And through that individual, God would create a nation. And through that nation, he would bless the world. That was God's intent. And God chose one man named Abraham. Abraham was living in an area that we call today Iraq. He was living in the area near the Tigris and Euphrates River. And God told him to leave Ur, the city of his birth, leave Ur and go to another land. I wish I had a map up here. He wanted him to go to another land. Anybody know what the name of that land is? Mm. God told Abraham to leave the city of Ur, current day Iraq, and to travel to the land that he would show him. Genesis chapter 12. Go to the land that I will show you. It says he left not knowing where he was going. He left simply following the promises of God and the leadership of God. How would you like to go home and say, honey, pack up. Where are we going? I don't have a clue. We're just going to go where God's showing us. And God led Abraham to go to another part, another area, which we would call today Israel. It was the land of promise, the land that God promised Abraham and to his descendants. And so we find the story of the people going to a land. Over here in creation era, we have the story of God creating mankind. And here, we have the story of God creating a nation through which he would bless mankind. So, that's the story that you need to follow. God creating a nation through which he would bless mankind. Um, Trying to decide how much I have to leave out of this because we're not going to make it. Um, (laughs) that doesn't surprise you, does it? Let me do this. Um, Let me tell you how they got from here to the next era. I'll tell you what the next era is in a minute. Abraham, his son, his son, Jacob, and Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. Which was his favorite? Joseph. 
Now, there was a lot of resentment because of that. Joseph's brothers did not like him very much. In fact, they, they hated him, and, and they sold him into slavery, and, and Joseph was shipped off to Egypt. When they got to Egypt, God had favor on Joseph, and, and through a series of miraculous events, Joseph rose through the ranks and became second in command. There was a great famine in the land of promise. And during that famine in the land of promise, Joseph had a dream of what God wanted to happen in order to spare the people prior to that famine, actually. And so he prepared the nation of, of, of Egypt for the famine that was to come. In fact, he's so well prepared that people from other nations came to Egypt wanting help, wanting food. One day, guess who showed up? The people that showed up wanting help, wanting food, was Joseph's brothers. Fast forwarding the story, those brothers eventually found out who Joseph was, and, and he, instead of having them killed, invited them to move to Egypt. The whole clan moved to Egypt for a period of, of about 400 years. Now, that leads us into the third era. Because something happened during this third era. In the Exodus, in the Exodus era, this is would be the books of of Exodus through Deuteronomy. In the Exodus era, here's what happened. Uh, Joseph was in Egypt. His entire clan and family is in Egypt, and everything is going well because everybody loved Joseph. Joseph had saved the country uh, through preparing for the famine. Everybody loved Joseph. But eventually, eventually, things changed, didn't it? You see, eventually, there was they, a Pharaoh came into power who did not know Joseph and who did not care who Joseph was and did not care what Joseph had done in the past. So soon after Joseph died, the Egyptians began to view the Hebrew people as a threat because God was blessing the Hebrew people. Now, I'm not trying to say this in a bad way, but, man, they were having babies all over the place. And they were, they were continually multiplying, so much so they increased so rapidly that the Hebrew people or the Egyptians thought that they were a threat to them. And so during this Exodus era, the Egyptians said, we cannot allow these Hebrew people to continue to multiply. We're going to make them slaves. And they, they really, really oppressed them. So much so that the people of God, the Hebrew people, cried out to God for deliverance. They cried out to God for help. And when they cried out to God for help, something happened that you wouldn't believe. God heard them. I want you to just get a picture of this. They were not in the land of promise. They were in Egypt. They were in bondage. They were slaves. But they cried out to God for help. They cried out to God to deliver them, and God heard them. And God called a man. By the way, whenever God is about to do something, he always uses an individual to do it. Maybe I shouldn't say always, nearly always. He nearly always has an individual that he's, through whom he's going to work. 
So God calls a man named Moses. And I love the story. I wish we had time in Exodus chapter 3 to dig into that. But he, you know the story, the burning bush experience. And at the burning bush, he said, Moses, I'm going to come down and free my people. And Moses says, amen, glory to God. And God says, and Moses, it's going to be amazing because I hear their crying and now I'm concerned and I'm coming down to do something to free them. And Moses said, absolutely, do it, Lord, I'm with you, amen. Then he says, now, go and free my people. And Moses said, who are you talking to? You know, not me. I can't, and, and the whole story, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. In the Exodus era, here's what you have. You have Moses leading the people of God, eventually leading the people of God out of Egypt. Now, it, it, it wasn't easy to get them free, was it? We don't have time to tell all the Bible stories, but it wasn't easy to get them out. But once, here's what you need to know about this era that's very important. Once they got out of Egypt, the first obstacle was what? The Red Sea. And they got through that. And eventually, they go to an area in the southern Sinai Peninsula called Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God met them. Now listen very carefully. What I'm about to tell you is, is so important. At Mount Sinai, God met them, and the nation of Israel was born. They made a covenant there. God made a covenant with them. And God covenanted with his people that he would be their God. And God gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And they covenanted to be God's people, God's special people. Again, going back to this, to the patriarchs, God was creating a nation. And through that nation, he would bless the world. So when we come to the Exodus era, they are now at Mount Sinai. The nation is born. The nation is now God's people. They have God's law. They have God's word. They, they, they have the Ten Commandments to go by and God's law. Now they have a nation. Now they have a law. Now they have a God. Now everything is going to go wonderful. For a while, for a short while, by the way, remember how I told you how God works through individuals? He, can I say, can I put a little parenthesis there? He works through flawed individuals too, doesn't he? Because God worked through the man named Moses who did incredible things, but Moses also had a problem. He disobeyed God, and God said, okay, appreciate this shortest translation. Appreciate what you've done, but you will not get to go into the promised land. And it's intriguing to me that the Bible says, and Moses died, and God buried him. Nobody knows where he was buried. He died, God buried him. But whenever, whenever a great leader steps aside, God always has a replacement. His name was Joshua. He had served under Moses. He had served as his second in command. And so that leads us now into the next era. Because you see, and of course I'm fast-forwarding through all of this, but when you come to this next era, very interesting time frame. Um, if I could write. This is called the Conquest. The Conquest era, and it deals with the book of 
Joshua. Conquest era. After Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, he shepherded them for uh, 40 years in the, in the wilderness and brought them to the edge of the promised land. Now, Joshua was going to take over. Joshua was going to be the military leader that they needed as they went in to the promised land. Interest, I wish we kind of had time to talk about this era because what happens in the conquest era is this. Joshua, they go into the area, into this land that God had promised Abraham. They go into the land, but they don't, it's not just handed to them. They have to take it. There's a conquest. They have to conquer it. They have to conquer the Canaanites. And there's some bloody battles, and, and there's some, some awful things that occurred in, in this book. It was, you know, it's, really was God's judgment on the Canaanite people. Conquest was God's judgment on the Canaanites. They were awful people, by the way. Let me give you just one example of how awful the Canaanites were. The Canaanites were pagan worshipers. They worshipped idols, idols they'd made with their own hands. And and they had a a huge idol called Moloch, made of iron, cast iron. It was an awful-looking idol, but it was their god. And the, the, the inner part of Moloch was hollow. And they would build a a fire in this cast iron idol. A huge raging fire inside the belly of Moloch. And they got the fire so hot that that cast iron got red hot. And then they would take their babies and lay it in the arms of that so-called God. And sacrifice their children. Sacrifice their babies to that God. Just one example of how bad these people were. God had given them many, many, many opportunities to respond and to repent. And they failed to re- return to God or come to God and repent. And so God says, okay, this is the land that I promised Abraham. Now, Joshua, you're the man to go in and take the land. You're the one that will go in and conquer the land. By the way, do you know where the first battle was? Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. Well, after the conquest of the promised land was complete, the people of Israel settled down for about 400 years. Things went well for a while. A relatively normal life. We have this tendency, though, don't we? When things are good, we don't depend on God as well as we should. When things are good, things are going well, we're not quite as obedient as we probably ought to be. And after a period of 400 years, after relatively calm and everything's going pretty well, God's people began to forget God, began to disobey God. And and in the Old Testament, you'll see this pattern that God often would send a nation outside of the land of Israel to Israel to afflict them, to attack them, basically to bring judgment on them. That was God's way of judging them. He would send a nation, the Assyrians, the Persians, whoever. He would send a nation against his own people, and that was his judgment on them. Now, here's what, what happened. See if this looks familiar, maybe to your life as well. There was a cycle that occurred during this era. Here, here's what happened. Um, things were good. Then they disobeyed. 
disobeyed God. God would, would send a nation against them. God would judge, judge their wickedness, judge their sin. And he would send a nation to attack them. They would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer. And that deliverer was called a judge. And then things were good. And so long as that judge was alive, things were good. And eventually, that judge would always die. And when that judge would die, things would go from good into the people being disobedient again. God would judge the nation. They'd cry out for deliverance. God would send another deliverer, another judge. When I say the word judge, don't think of judge in terms of judicial type judges. But, but think more in terms of a military leader. A judge was somebody who had the political and the military leadership over the nation. The judge was God's appointed leader for that time to deliver the people from oppression and to bring the people back to him. They were spiritual military leaders risen up by God to bring the people of God back to him. This was what happened in the time of the judges. There were 12 judges. During this time of judges, here's something very interesting. During this time of judges, one judge to the second judge, to the third judge, to the fourth judge, to the fifth, the sixth, etc. Here's what happened in the nation. There was a downward spiral. You had the first judge, and, and they went through this cycle, and things got good again. But then when they disobeyed, they got a little bit worse. And God brought another judge, and things would get good again. And then once they disobeyed, it got a little bit worse. Things continued this this downward trend during this judge's era. For about 400 years, this, this cycle occurred. And then the people of God said, you know what our problem is? Our problem is we don't have a king. We need a king. I mean, we got these judges, but they're only here for a while, and, and they're, they're, we don't have a king like all the other nations do. We... We need a, a king. So you have the fifth is the kingdom era. The kingdom era. And this covers the books of First Samuel through Second Chronicles. The first king. Do what? Say it again. Right? Say it. I need to write judges on the board. Okay. I see what you're saying. All right. This is number... Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate your help.
I need all the help I can get. The kingdom era. There are three, three major kings during this time. The first king of Israel was a man named Saul. Was Saul a good king or a bad king? Both. He started out good. He started out strong. He started out loving God, serving God, and, and eventually Saul had his downfall, and, and it was really tied to women, by the way. I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm just warning you men. I'm not, not saying anything against the women. Just warning you men, his downfall was women, uh, primarily. And so Saul had his downfall, and then David took over. David was the greatest king of Israel greatest king Israel has ever had. Israel was, was in a time of great prosperity under David. And you said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. What well, Didn't David and this other lady named Bathsheba and... Oh, oh, listen, 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 listen. It's amazing that you can, you can look at the, the lifespan of an, of an individual. A man of God. In fact, the Bible in the New Testament says David was a man after God's own heart. But our tendency is to run to that one thing we know that he did bad. That's just the tendency of human nature, isn't it? Looking for the bad, looking for the worse, looking perhaps for something to make ourselves feel better. So, overall, David was the nation's greatest king. The nation prospered under his leadership uh, like in no other time. David died in peace and prosperity. He died at an old age, and his son Solomon became king in his place. Solomon led the nation in righteousness for the first 40 years of his reign, but then he too fell into sin. Solomon died, and his son became king, Rehoboam. This is a critical juncture in the story of the nation of Israel. You, you're going to need to write a lot of notes here, and I've run out of space to write anything down. But let me tell you, as a result of Solomon's death, his son took over, who was not a follower of God like he should have been, and the nation of Israel divided. The nation of Israel divided. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel, and it was the ten tribes. So remember, there was 12 tribes. Let me go back here to the story. Remember the patriarchs? You had 12 sons of who? 12 sons of Jacob. And, and each of those 12 sons had a portion of that land that had been promised. So when the nation divided, 10 of the tribes became the northern kingdom. And they kept the name Israel. Two of the tribes was called the southern kingdom. And they had the name Judah because Judah was the largest tribe of the two. And so they had the... You had Israel, the ten tribes, and you had Judah, the southern two tribes. Um, During this time, king after king after king after king came to power. Remember, they wanted a king. And they had some good kings and they had some bad kings. Most of the time, they were not very favorable. Most of the time, they were not very godly. And as a result, Israel eventually... Turned away from God. God sent judgment on them. Another nation came in and conquered them. And Israel was to be no more. Judah survived a little bit longer. Uh, Judah survived for another 150 years or so. And then they too were conquered and 
by a powerful neighbor called Babylonia. And, and the Babylonians, Babylonians took them to, their, to uh, their country of Babylon, which brings us to this era. And is this number seven? Am I correct now? Letter G. All right. The exile era. In the exile era, Babylon took the people of God away from their homeland uh, to the country of Babylon, and they lived there for about 70 years. Here's some books that you might want to write down. It, it covers the, the books in the Bible that cover this period are the books of Ezekiel and Daniel. Ezekiel and Daniel. Ezekiel and Daniel, now if you looked at it chronologically, you'd say, wait a minute, that's out of order. But Ezekiel and Daniel were written during the exile. They were prophets to the people during the exile. So that's why we include those books here. For 70 years, God's people are in exile. For 70 years, God's people are away from the land that God had promised them. For 70 years, they're living in uh, exile and experiencing God's judgment. At the end of the 70-year period, God raises up the country of Persia. And Persia conquers the Babylonians. And when the Persians conquered the Babylonians, the king allowed them to go back to the land. So this is the return era. The return era. It's the books of Ezra through Esther. Ezra through Esther. Three people are essential to this book. By the way, there was about 50,000 people that left Babylon and went back to the homeland, to to the area around Jerusalem. About 50,000 people. Not all at once. They went in different groups. But three people that were essential to this going back to the homeland, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Zerubbabel led led the people of God back. Ezra led the people back to God in their relationship with God. Nehemiah went back and led the people to build the walls around Jerusalem. Three key people during this time of return. And then the last era, and I know I'm fast-forwarding through a lot of this, but the last era is called the silence era. There are no books of the Bible about this era. Because, you see, during this time, 400 years passed when God did not speak. God had prophesied there's coming a day when there will be a famine in the land, but not a famine of food, but a famine of the Word of God. This is sometimes called the intertestamental period. Intertestamental period the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was a period of about 400 years. And during that 400 years, though God was silent, he was not inactive. God was doing uh, amazing things during this silence, preparing the world for the Savior to come. During this time is when eventually the Romans came into power, and the Romans built roads through which the gospel could be carried, or over which the gospel could be carried. During this time, Greek became the primary language of the people, a common language, if you will, of the people of the entire Roman Empire. 
Rome had conquered the world, and now that we had one language, so now it's easier to carry the gospel across these Roman roads and to share the gospel in one common language. During this time of intertestamental period, or this time of, of when God was supposedly silent, during this intertestamental period, God was preparing the world for the Savior. So for a period of 400 years, there was no prophets. For a period of 400 years, there was no prophecies. For 400 years, God was silent. And then when you open up the the book of John chapter 1, it says in John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's powerful. We're going to look at that next time when we talk about the New Testament. But for 400 years, just silent. God was not inactive. God was working through history to prepare the world for the Savior to come. So let me review with you a couple of key points real quickly. Because God is... Watch how this flows. Watch how this flows. Because God is creator, he's owner, he's Lord, he's master. Would you agree with that? If he can create everything out of nothing, then he's master and he's Lord. God as creator and master created mankind. And eventually, God said, now that I've created the world, I want to create a nation through whom I'll bless the world. So God called to one man, Abraham. He says, if you will trust me, if you will follow me, if you will obey me, I will make you a great nation. And through you, I will bless the nations of the world. I will make your seed, I will make your lineage as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand of the seashore. There was just one problem with that theory. He had no kids. And he was an old, old man. But, if God is creator, if he is master, if he is Lord, if he can create anything out of nothing, surely he can cause an old man and an old woman to have a baby. And he did. God used Abraham and his son, Isaac, and his son, Jacob. And here's what happened. The promise that God made to Abraham, he passed down to... You see, Isaac wasn't his only son. Isaac was just the son of, of the covenant, the son of promise. So God spoke... He said, now, now Abraham, I'm going to make all of these promises to you, and I'm going to bless you in all these ways. But Abraham didn't live forever, did he? No, he didn't live forever. So his next son, or his son Jacob, was the son of covenant. He was the son of promise. And Isaac, again, the son of covenant, the son of promise. Then the 12 sons who became the foundation of of the nation of Israel. But they find themselves 
They find themselves in exile. They find themselves in Egypt. They find themselves in slavery. Have you ever found yourself wondering what God's up to? Does it ever seem like you're wondering, God, I don't understand how this story is going to turn out good. But because He is Creator, because He is Lord, He is in charge even when it looks like He's not in charge. And so God raised up a man, Moses, and, and they were heading towards the land of promise, the land he had told Abraham about. The land he had brought Abraham to. They were heading back towards that land again. And the people of God got on the edge of the promised land. And fear took over. Now folks, I don't understand how this happens. But it's happened in my life. Maybe it's happened in yours. They trusted God. They followed God. They trusted God. They followed God. They saw God part the waters. They saw God provide manna. They saw God lead them through the fire in the sky at night and the cloud during the day. They saw God do tremendous things. And then they got on the edge of going into the promised land. And they said, we can't go there. It's too scary there. The people that live there are huge. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And so they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. which led eventually to Joshua taking over, going in to take the land that God had promised Abraham. Then they said, we want a king. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought they had a king. They did have a king, didn't they? Tell you something, listen to me. Whenever you treat God as if he's not king, you're always setting yourself up for trouble. They had a king, but they wanted another king. And God said... To Samuel, don't you worry about this. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so we had that cycle of, of, of repentance and, and, and disobedience and, and deliverance and all that through the time of the judges. Then they wanted this king and they asked for the king and, and they got their king and they eventually disobeyed God again. Is anybody seeing a pattern here? They disobeyed God again. They, they got the king, but they disobeyed God again. They go into exile. They're, they're experiencing the judgment of God. And then they return. They return back to this land. It's all about the land. They come back to this land. It's all about this land God has promised. They come back to the land. And even then, they are still not faithful to God. And there's 400 years of silence. And God was preparing the stage for a Savior. You see, this whole story is just leading to Jesus. This whole story is the story of God working in humanity, in the history of the world, to lead humanity to Jesus. And we'll look, get into that next time as we talk about the New Testament. I feel like I've been scatterbrained tonight, but there's just so much I was trying to cover in a short amount of time. So, if we haven't 
confused you too much, come back and let's talk about the New Testament. And I hope it'll all kind of get a little clearer as we go into the New Testament. Let me pray with you. God, I still marvel at the story. I still marvel, Lord, that that you're the God of all creation. And rather than give up on us, you send us your very own Son. And there are times when we are walking with you. There are times when we are in fellowship with you. There are times when we are experiencing great joy and satisfaction and peace. And and then there are times when we treat you as if you're not king. As if you are not God. As if you have no say-so in our lives. And the story that we see on the board is a story we've lived. We know what it is to go through the cycle. We know what it is to have those times when it just feels like the pressure is so hard. But the pressure draws us back to you. Thank you that you are Lord and you are God. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the times in which we live, regardless of, 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 of the people around us, you are Lord and you are God, and there is none other. And may we follow you, and may we serve you, and may we love you with all of our heart. And I pray that in Christ's name.